Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Hey, Chuck, it's Bob here. Hey, Bob. 32? Did he just say 32? Episode 32. I can't believe that. Oh, my but gosh. I'm going over it. So it's taken me 32 podcasts to talk about the 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 thing that i'm trying to do <laughs> which is this website called rehabbob.com so so i had this idea so what is time. rehabbob.com i, I don't even know really i wanted it to be a, pla- a place where people could go on the internet and trust it it's not corrupted by patient brokering or rehab center optimization it's just a place to go and get information right and and hear what I experience and what I think and and I'd like to hear what parents are going through and there's places to post and email me and I but I I always forget I'm I got a lot of mental problems Chuck I don't know if you know well, I hadn't noticed <laughs> well the whole I borrowed <laughs> I borrowed forty thousand dollars from a friend of mine to build this website nice and I never talk about it. That's kind of fucking retarded. I, I know you can't use that word, but that's kind of like OCD stupid, right? Well, Can you, you still use the word stupid? I don't know. I know people use idiot all the time, and that's a real thing. You can't really say idiot because that's... I'm just good to be politically correct. I'm... <laughs> Whoa, oh, we're going to stay away from that. We can get in there on that. Whoa. My buddy Louis C.K. is in a lot of trouble. Um, so, so, is he, so no, but, but is he, so, but, so, but my idea is to, to educate the public, get the message out. You know, I have this TV show that I never talk about called rehab now that's on the website. It's really cool. I showed it to you for the first time. So, right? Yeah. Really are you hoping cool. people are going to stumble across these things <laughs> without even being told? I didn't even know. I thought I would think at least I would know. It's a cool TV show. So I have this TV show called Rehab Now. It's not really a TV show. You just shoot it like it's a TV show, but it's for this Rehab Bob website. And it's called Rehab Now, and it's me interviewing all the legends of rehab. So the first episode is with Richard Rogg, the founder of Promises, which has been around since 1986, I believe. Um, the guy who's who in, who, by no fault of his own, invented the high-end Malibu rehab model, right? Okay. That he now hates, and that's why he quit the business. Oh, really? He sold the brand? and Yeah, he sold it like 12 years ago, right? But it was because so he was, you know, he's kind of like me. That's why He's like one of my mentors, and I look up to him so much. So he's he wants to help, and he's not not a business savvy guy and he's like a cd existential talker guy right so perfect he's like my father that i never had okay right so so he wasn't he used to still do one group a week i believe at promises in malibu and he just didn't pay attention till one day in his group somebody answered their phone and he was like what the fuck is that and he thought it was contraband and he wanted to staff them, which is the old way that we used to right. do things, <laughs> right? And there, and he so, soon found out that this place that he owned uh, had been for years allowing the clients to have their phones. 
And that's mm-hmm. when he says he realized, like, I can't, I can't, are you fucking kidding? You can't have your phone when you're in rehab. And that's when he realized it had gotten away from his control, right? Right. What he wanted to do was have a nice house that accommodated a certain population, businessmen and women, um, entertainment people, that was just high-end environment, but still the fucking Minnesota model, shut up, sit down, you don't know shit mentality that all minnesota model rehabs were in the 80s and 90s dude you know how many times i was told to sit up sit down and shut up and yeah, rehab well, like yeah, I remember, thousands I remember of being times told, like, thousands like, of times you know what, you can you can sit down and do what we're telling you to do or you can leave they yeah, never yeah. asked you to do anything they'd say do what we're telling you to do or you can leave Pack your shit. I don't know how many times you heard that. Pack your shit. Pack your shit, or you don't want to be here. We don't want to. And they weren't playing when they said it. They were not playing. It wasn't. It wasn't a threat. So, but my my main thing was because I was in a weird position um, where people really went out of their way trying to help me. Right now, some were altruistic motives, and some were kind of corrupt motives. Right, I think my best friend at the time anthony from the chili peppers wanted so much for me to be sober and he was mostly a lot of times the driver of me going to rehab right so the rehab center or the admin the bob timmons who got you into rehab at that time they all wanted to you know they caught this anthony fervor that he had he 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 was so convinced i was gonna die i think that's what he was so trying to help me right like it kind of brings tears to my eyes how far out of his way he went to try to help me. But that it was this famous rock star trying to help me that kind of, you know, made the staff go the extra mile. I'm not going to lie. You know what I mean? Right. And so when he's the guy dropping you off, when he's got under the bridge on the radio and he's the guy driving you to the rehab center, the rehab center, you know, would try to get through to me. <laughs> yeah, We don't want to blow this one. <laughs> Did I tell you what happened to tarzana treatment center one time he drove me he came i was smoking crack in a uh not a girlfriend but a gal pal's house in beachwood canyon just smoking crack been there for a few days just smoking crack with jj a girl that i loved and was one of the great junkies of hollywood lore and unfortunately she died a few years ago but i wrote a song about her called trust fund girl she her dad had died and left her a bunch of money mm. So you can understand why I was always at her house. <laughs> but we just clicked. I just love JJ. And and so smoking crack for day after day. And Anthony lived up the block. And and he knew that I was there in that house. He saw my car parked and driving by. So one morning, I think it was, and he would know better, but I think it was like daytime. He just walked in and, and didn't you? He, he knocked on the door and then just opened the door, walked in. I'm sitting there smoking crack in the living room. And I go, dude, because I thought he was going to relapse with me, right? I was like, dude, what? And he goes, come on, we're going to go. And he was just standing up above me, sitting on the couch like this coffee table. And I was like, dude, what are you talking about? He goes, come on, I have, I, come on, you've got to go. And then JJ came in from the bedroom and goes, what's going on? And he goes, I'm taking Bob. I want, you know, I got a bed for him at Tarzana, right? So... And JJ wanted to get rid of me because I was smoking all the crack. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
You're it a nice like, guy, but you smoke like all the crack. It wasn't like she was putting up a fuss, like, no, don't take Bob. He's smoking all my crack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. who, who will smoke all this crack with Bob gone? <laughs> yes. God, what will we do? <laughs> we'll have to get another loser homeless Damn. junkie in here. All right. So we go, and he drives me to Tarzana, and he pays for it. Uh, you know, and I'm sitting there in the intake or whatever in the front, and he pays for it on his credit card. And then he hugs me and he leaves and then I walk to the back, right? And I stayed in the back for like three hours and somehow that crack was calling me, JJ's house was calling me. Um, JJ wasn't. No, she did not <laughs> want me back. I don't even know that I, I did leave that night. I don't even know that I went back to her house, but I was just like, this kind of fucked, interrupted drug addict, mid-run, not a, you know, I don't know what he was thinking. And so I said I'm leaving against medical advice, which I was notorious for. Um, now it's called administrative advice, but Tarzana is a medical model, and so was Exodus. So I'm leaving against medical advice. You got to talk to the, to the, you know, the, you, they try to put like three roadblocks in your way. You got to talk to the nurse. You got to talk to the fucking, you know, the counselor. He's not here right now. You got to talk to the program director. So I talked to all the people, and I'm leaving, and. I go to the front back out where we paid and I ask for my money back. Ah, your money. <laughs> my money back. And they said, and I knew it was on a credit card. I was out of my mind on crack. It was on a credit card. And I said, okay, well, then refund all but $500 back to the credit card and I'm going to need $500 cash. I was going right. to steal yeah. the money. <laughs> From the guy who fucking went out of his way to come into a drug den, a sober guy who only had probably three or four years in, come into the drug den, get you, take what you to treatment, pay for it. I was going to steal his money. What a good friend. See, but that, that's, that's what drugs do. They make good friends act like that. I, it was crazy. So, so in, in all of my treatment go round. <laughs> Give me 500. <laughs> I was just... I don't know why I picked that. I should have picked 200. They might have gone for 200. 250. 250. I need. But I, a, I figured 500, I can get a hotel room. I gave him 250 I, cash. He <laughs> let me use the card for $50,000. No, Tarzan's like 7,500. Uh, oh, okay. That's why you could put it on a credit card back then. Okay. Now you just put a deposit down of 7,500 on the 50 grand. So, so anyways, um, the... This was my mo. I would I would go to treatment. They'd try to convince me to stay, and in you know, and Richard had always been there. He promises Malibu was that way still. Like the fuck, you don't want to be here, then don't be here. And all of a sudden, more and more insidious. Uh, you know, one of the things I think of why treatment became so accommodating, it makes it easier for the staff. If the patients are satisfied and not fighting and complaining, you know what I mean? If you give them their phones, then you don't have to fight about the phones. If you say they can stay up till one o'clock in the morning, then you don't have to fight about lights out. If you bring them to the beach, then they don't complain so much of how boring it is. So treatment got morphed and perverted in kind of a staff cooperated with it. Because, because really, the people that treated me, all the people at Cry Help and Exodus, they were ready for the fight the moment they walked in the door. Dr. Murphy, who ran Exodus, one of the greatest doctors and addictionologists, um, Kathy Kilgard, the head nurse at Exodus, 
They walked in with their tennis shoes, laces tied, and ready to go to war with you. <laughs> yeah. Right? Right. Not, not nowadays where it's just like, oh, I, you know, why can't they have their phones? Because, because I say they can't. Because you have to take back the power from them. See, I'm not one that believes you take the phones away because they'll call a drug dealer. I don't give a fuck. No, that, that's it. not why you take them. It's anyhow. because th they are not going to live out facility. We're going to get them to look at themselves clearly in the mirror, and we're going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. We're going to box like Ali when he was 40. It's, you can't, you know, you can't out-muscle them. You just got to pop them in the face a couple times and then back away, right? Mm -hmm. I call them poke them with a stick, right? And 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 also know when to tell them they're doing a great job and you're you're so you know you love them and all that kind of stuff. That's super important to catch them doing something right every once in a while. The back and forth, the back and forth, right? Catch them and doing something right. The longer they stay, the the more camaraderie I feel towards them. Right at a certain point, if somebody stayed in treatment, like there was people that stayed in Los Angeles for like eight months, right? Because we had an extended care RTC, right? At that point, they're like staff. They know more about the whole system, and they're dedicated, and they want, they're doing good. And, and so, you know, the, the, the dozens of patients I had stay for more than six months, it became like they could sit in my office and talk all afternoon if they wanted to. It became like this really cool thing that doesn't very, exist in rehab anymore. Camaraderic. Camaraderic. <laughs> Is that never, a word? I don't know. I've never heard it before. It's just stuck in my craw. But you know okay, what I'm saying? Yeah, no. Because I, I was in cry help for five and a half months. I made it to pro staff, it's called, and I was the assistant to the counselors, right? And it was cool. I could sit in this Leslie no, Jacobs. I, I love this, the senior clients this, when they come around and just want to talk about what they're doing. Yeah, and this two cool counselor, Leslie Jacobs, her name was, and this and Gloria Scott obviously worked there. Even Donald Theodore. This, it was just so cool to hang out with people and be like a human being again right? There's no humanness to rehab anymore. It's all just get them in, get them out, insurance cards, this, discharge plans, also formal, MFTs and LSCSWs for all how wonderful they are. They really don't know how to create that with addicts, what counselors can, right? I think addicts will always be necessary. So anyways, the, the three other tips about a rehab is what, what, what's the family program like? So this is number four. Last episode, we talked about the first three that are primary, the sleazy part. This is the quality part. So what kind of family program you got? What's the family involvement? What's expected of us? Ask these questions of the treatment center. And if they stumble bum with the answer, like if they don't have a family program or they don't have... You know, at a certain point, we're going to integrate you into the treatment plan, and we want to give you some tips of how to deal with your addict while he's or she is here, and certainly what when where she, where he or she discharges to, or how to deal with them when they're out in the wild, right? If you don't have family solutions at a treatment center, you have no solutions at all, right? That's my take. Right. That's, well, if they're going to be returning to family for sure, and even if they're not, because the family has to know how to deal with them. Who pays for them? Whose insurance are they on? Do you think these fucking people appear out of? Be honest, Chuck. The guys you dealt with today, they got jobs. No. But they got good insurance. 
how do they got good insurance if oh, they yeah, don't I, have jobs? I know. It's their parents or spouses. And they get so mad when I say, I can't wait till the, the age of adulthood goes back down to, to 21. 21. <laughs> uh, it, 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 becoming an adult at age 27 just freaks me out. So they really, even if your loved one, even if you're in Ohio and your kid's out here in California, there's a thing called FaceTime. There's a thing called Skyping. There's a thing called a telephone that a counselor should be calling you and engaging you and giving you pointers and helping you understand addiction. Ideally, you get treatment in the same community that you live and you go to the facility for a family night or you have a family weekend. I know a lot of the treatment centers, the fancy ones, Hazel and Betty Ford, have family weekends where you actually are there eight hours a day getting your own counseling, right? So ask about a family program that tells you a lot about a treatment center's quality. Can I pop something in there real quick? Yeah. Um, if, now see, that's predicated on the idea that you'll be on the ROI, that you'll be on the release of information, and that's real easy to get around. Don't buy your kids cigarettes or send them money unless they put you on the release of information. Does that so, happen a lot? It does happen a lot. This is, you know, this is one of these things. It's another way. I can't confirm or deny whether your child. I can't confirm or deny whether your child that is you're being billed on your insurance is here or not. Right, and that gets that gets pulled, and they can do it verbally. And you know what just, gets pulled? It, I don't tolerate that kind of bullshit. I, I've only had one court client do that, where they wouldn't put their parent on the release of information that I wanted the parents engaged in the process. Mm-hmm. And the kid wouldn't. I told the parents to cancel the insurance policy. I did. Fuck them. You know, they were paying $1,100 a month for this kid's insurance policy. He's 32 years old and he was so rude he wouldn't even talk to his parents. Mm-hmm. And, and they're then, paying $1,100. And they're giving money and they're, and they're, they're the ones that are stuff. They bought him a car. Yeah. They, give him a, they pay for his motel room when he's on a run, all that kind of stuff. So I was trying to heal the family. So family's very, very important with a majority of the population that's in treatment. Because without the family, they're what's called indigent. And I've had many kids who don't know what that word is look it up in the dictionary, which is now on Google. I say, you know, go on your phone, put in indigent. That's what you are. It's going to pop up. It's going to tell you what you are. No J in that word. It's a G. (laughs) It's a G-E-N-T. And it has vowels, unlike everything else you spell. So... So the the point being, all programs should have either one-on-one talking with the counselor or social worker or MFT. See, you and I know the codes of it. MFTs, marriage and family therapists, right, have infiltrated the recovery industry mostly as an economic thing because they're cheaper than psychologists. That's I was there when it happened. Every treatment center in the 1980s, 90s, and into the 2000s had a licensed psychologist, either on staff or program director or Mm -hmm. something. And licensed psychologists are very expensive. They're like $50 an hour. If you could pay an MFT $25 an hour, and they still are licensed by the state, it still meets all the state requirements, why would you pay a psychologist to be there? Right. So, and I don't mind. There's a lot of good MFTs. Louisa, one of my favorite people in the world, is an MFT. She's the greatest. Um, it's not to devalue that, but the one thing, the one fucking thing that marriage and family therapists have over KDAC counselors, 
psychologists, doctors, nurses is how to deal with families. If there's so many fucking MFTs working in treatment, how come none of these programs have family programs? That's just me venting for a second, Chuck. It's true. I, I, I just beat a little. It's true. They yeah. have they have family half therapist. a dozen MFTs in training, and they have no family programs. Right. What the fuck is that? <laughs> Anyways, family program is important. Ask about a family program. Number two, no, number five, actually. This is the quality part. There's six questions, right? What kind of follow-up aftercare programs are offered by your facility? Right? Most will say, oh, you know, we're blah, 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 blah. Used to be all treatment centers had a night a week dedicated to a barbecue, to alumni. An alumni, to, yeah. yeah. There should they, be at they, least an alumni But group. didn't it all just go away in the last five years? I don't know of many places that have it. Aloe has it on Tuesday nights. I run it. Well, most places don't have alumni. They just have new clients. <laughs> <laughs> right? Or old clients. They just, they're just clients. Uh, how do they're you have never, alumni? They never get to alumni. <laughs> <laughs> they just keep being clients. They're in OP, and then they're in inpatient detox. OP detox. <laughs> OP detox. That's their discharge plan, is detox. So anyways. <laughs> in a the, month. The idea is to have alumni, to have a robust, sober community surrounding the facility. In that this, does in stuff. This. And they should do stuff more than just meet. They should do things, go places, go at like, uh, we just had our, our group of our alumni go to the Queen Mary thing uh, oh, the for, the haunted, the... for the haunted oh, ghost really? thing. Oh, really? And clients went? Well, it was alumni. Oh, they all went uh, together. Yeah, they went and it's because sometimes they meet up, sometimes they do bonfire down at the beach, sometimes they do that because that's real life stuff. You're not always sitting in a freaking 12-step meeting. There's real life stuff to do and enjoy and explore and to do it with people where you've come through this experience together it's it's rad i like I last like tuesday that. just by a chance this kid ryan who i love who is like two and a half years sober or something got sober at aloe when it was called acadia i think really and um he just came by the alumni the, the my tuesday night group and hung out we talked about his experience and he told you know because a lot of times because there's not an emphasis on alumni anymore and com building communities around rehabs a lot of even the successes, they don't come around either. So he told me of all these guys and that mostly and Gal, his girlfriend, they all got sober and they all still talk and they're all a community. And I said, oh, you should all come by and hang out. You know, but this is another thing about the isolated nature of Malibu, right? I run the group uh, uh, on Tuesday nights at six o'clock. You know what it's like to get to Malibu at six, by six o'clock on a Tuesday if you live in Culver City? It's yeah, like impossible. No yeah, it's would, really impossible. So the isolative nature of these places out in the middle of nowhere also makes it hard to build community. That's why the outpatient programs are mostly centered in Los Angeles. Allos is in Silver Lake. Betty Ford Center is in West LA. Um, Promises used to be on Barrington, but now I heard it closed up. That's crazy. No idea. They had the biggest like 60 person outpatient. Anyways, so aftercare. What kind of community you got around your facility? How active and involved are the successful uh, alumnus? Cryhelp had a profound effect on me, right? Didn't lead to complete abstinence forever, but that community, like there's thousands of people I know from Cryhelp world. 
right? It's cry help world. There's thousands of people got sober there. That's, yeah. You know what I mean? And these fly-by-night operations that don't got no alumni and they got no history and got no nothing, they just know how to bill insurance, fuck them. Fuck them. <laughs> There's really great programs that are different and are fully trying to hold on to the, to the spirit of what rehab is. And then this is the coup de grace to ask the rehab center. What is your average length of stay? Right? All rehab centers know that. I'm curious to see what all rehab centers know that number. What number you you are looking for is optimal. I can tell you. We just had a business meeting at Allo two Tuesdays ago. The average length of stay is going down, and I fucking lost my mind. Why? This is the most important issue. Why? And everyone in the room was kind of shocked that I was so focused on it. So the average length of stay used to be like 58 days. Right, meaning some people stay 90 days, some people stay 30 days. Right. The average length of stay was 58, and it's gone down to 46. And I want to know why. Is it, is it, and my suspicion is that patients can shop other rehabs, right? That's for sure. You're getting people pulled out of rehab. You guys that, have had that's one You of guys the had it, right? right? And then the kid died, right? Right. It's fucking crazy how competitive the rehab world is. So you have all these kind of people talking in, because most of Allo is outpatient, right? You're at IOP, PHP. Okay. Yeah. There's 18 inpatient beds, and then there's 42 outpatient beds. So 40, 42 of the people are out in the community going to AA meetings and going to Jamba Juice and shit. Mm -hmm. And you bump into other show people and they go, oh, they, we got paintball over here at this one. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. I'm interested in that, in, in where, what is making lengths of stay less? It could be just my suspicion that we're going to get down to the bottom of it. Insurance is just dumping people. Well, that that's a, you know, that's one of those things where, I've been getting weird things, you know, with the utilization reviews. Things will come back with a list of questions from the insurance case manager, the ICM. Yeah. Where they are just oddball questions where it, it's like, you know, we're not a 12-step based program because that's bastardization of 12-step of, of world. Yeah. You send them to 12-step. So that's asking, not what you do during the day. They're asking if they have a sponsor. They want to know what step they're on. Do they have a sponsor? How many meetings that's they go to? That's the way to. it used to be, you know. <clears throat> but, and that's okay. And I don't, I don't mind. And I, put, I always... I always talk about the benefits of them finding a sober community where that has a sober support group built in. They don't have to buy the whole thing lock, stock, and barrel. I always talk about how you, you know, you you believe that it works as well for the people in back on their phones as it does for the guys up front taking notes. You know, so I use I use those things to as a as a tool to get them to understand. But the 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 point is the insurance companies are so quick to lower a level of care from uh, say RTC to PHP to IOP to OP, 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 and they'll they get they'll right get to you to OP. So once they get you on OP, now now you're only getting now the place is only getting paid for three hours a week of of care. Trust me, I've talked about it. OP is basically you're on your own. Why don't we just say it's 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 supposedly outpatient, but it's we see a counselor once a week, I believe. Uh, it, it's supposed oh, we do. I meet with them every week. We all do. Yeah, one, once a week. But you don't have to. It can be every other week. And it's three hours a week. The, the three OP is three hours. It's only three hours a week of group. 
but we make them come every morning. We make them come five days a week. But yeah, but then you're the I'm a businessman so, too. I you know you got to be smart about business. You're providing so much services, being compensated so little that to me, I came up with a solution. Outpatient is back to the basics of what out, what sober living was. You you get a job, go to meetings, and and touch base with your counselor a couple times a week. I'm not your mom anymore. The 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 what is it the apron strings are cut right and and what i would do in those sessions with people because i had people at liberty house and living in recovery i'd see them once a week twice a week if i liked them such a horrible counselor i can't tell you so if i really liked you i'd see you like three times come on week. in let's go to lunch <laughs> I buy you lunch if I really like. If if Bob didn't buy you lunch, didn't like you. That's not true. I never had money to buy people lunch. But but um but but and what I would do is so what is it feeling like now? Like because you've been coddled here for you've been safe here living at Las Encinas Hospital for two months. Now you're over at Bishop Gooden. Nobody gives a fuck really. You're supposed to go to a meeting a day if you don't have a job. I used to love Bishop Gooden. If you didn't have a job, you had to go to a meeting every day. Right. If you did have a job, you only had to go to five meetings a week. And if you've programmed drug addicts right, they'll get a job just not to go to two meetings. <laughs> well, and and to get money, you know, you stop giving them stuff and, and you, you put them on the, I need you here five days a week for the first group. Unless you're working, then you only need to be here three hours a week whenever you can get here for three hours a week, as long as you're working. They'll here. work just to get out of having to wake up every morning and come to the center, you know, because they don't want to come to the center every morning. They'll go get a job. Yeah, that's maybe that's a motivating thing. So, it works. So I was in a sober living one time, and it's called Chapman House, I think, in the Valley. It's an AA clubhouse, too, and it's got a sober living, right? And it shares the name with Tim's Place? Oh, not Chapman House. Well, Chandler Lodge. That's what it's okay. called. Chandler Lodge. Chapman House is another place a friend of ours has. Chandler Lodge in the San Fernando Valley. And the sober living's on one side and the AA Alano Club's on the other. And there's ping pong tables in between. It's a fucking <laughs> nightmare to live there. But, but, and they don't play. Why do they always have ping pong tables and broken balls and one paddle? <laughs> and they, and they didn't have, they didn't have food. But the AA meeting had coffee, so I could get coffee in the morning for free, right? But then if some old-timer sees you getting coffee and then walking back over, they're like, where are you going? Oh, holy shit. (laughs) So you got to get to the meeting early before the old-timers get there. Get your coffee and get back over to the sober living before they (laughs) see you. And then they had, (laughs) for some reason, the sober living had peanut butter and jelly and basically, like Folgers coffee, the huge fucking twenty, the big pound, red, yeah, yep, red one, can. right? But but so we had bread, peanut butter, coffee, and sugar. So I lived there for like two months, uh, and I took to eating peanut butter and sugar sandwiches. They're kind of good. They're not bad. You get used to it, huh? Yeah, because I I just couldn't see myself. I was still not a complete failure as a musician. I couldn't see myself as getting a job. So I was a musician. I just didn't have any money. So I ate peanut butter and sugar sandwiches. I still kind of like them. Uh, They're they're not bad. 
they're they're really sweet. Yeah, I I understand. So My- I had so basically for two months I lived on peanut butter and sugar sandwiches, coffee from the Alana Club, and then if an old friend of mine would take me to a meeting, they'd take me to Canners or something. That's basically did, how I existed. Did you rub the I didn't peanut butter ins- back and but, forth? But so my point sticks? is, I didn't need insurance money. I didn't need somebody to get paid $500 to talk to me. I didn't need to have my urine tested for $1,300. I need a peanut butter and sugar and Folgers coffee and a place to sleep that was safe and warm. That's what OP should be. It should not be providing fancy houses and gourmet food and all this bullshit for op benefits you just it will be unsustainable you cannot sustain that you're getting compensated like 500 dollars a week and you're providing ten thousand dollars worth of services eventually op is going to go away well, and guess what the insurance industry is going to push push more and more towards op then some entrepreneur will come along and go hey we got this place called chandler lost <laughs> Well, or, or you know, it'll just be they won't provide the housing, you know, and it, you got to provide the housing because the people are homeless. Remember, well, Google they, transient. <laughs> That's what in, they indigent are. and trans. In, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, so we need like an apartment complex in a bad part of town. No, you need like Chandler Lodge. I think the cash rate was this is probably in like ninety five though. But I think it was like three hundred fifty bucks a month. I think now there's a great sober living in Hollywood by LACC called Living in Recovery. still there. I think it's $800 a month. And they have partial food. They have peanut butter and sugar and coffee. Peanut butter and sugar. Yeah, but you know, though, if you get a nice layer of sugar, put another layer of peanut butter on top to kind of absorb it so you don't spit out sugar or spill it. So anyways, I I just think that you got to be careful. You got to find the right place. And the overall thing of why i have rehab bob and why i do this podcast is i want the public to get informed for so many different reasons how to deal with your kid the way you're dealing with is not working so try something different and if you need my support and in in or chuck support or a counselor support in saying hey try try something different try not answering your phone when they call after two weeks of not hearing from them try it you know what have you got to lose your kid's dying why not try something different instead of do the same thing? What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing, expecting different results, right? Because most people think if they go to rehab enough, um, it'll finally catch on. No, you change. And then the rehab experience is different for them. They're more motivated. They know you're not going to tolerate the bullshit anymore. That's the truth of it, right? Oh yeah, but you can see you can see the difference in returning clients if there has been a change, and that doesn't mean that that's going to catch that time either. It just means they're going to be more receptive. It means that they're more willing, and it's obvious by their actions and their attitudes and what they're willing to do. Um, what I, year is it now? Two thousand seventeen. If your kid, if your kid is twenty right now and heroin addicted, they're probably not going to get sober until. 2022 probably five years five years so that should help some parents realize like oh my god i mean from the time i went to my first rehab to when i got sober was eight and a half years 
right? Yeah, it takes it takes time. It takes and I was 27 when I started trying. I wasn't 19. Yeah. Nope. You know what I mean? So have a little faith. It will happen. But you know, I know it's scary. They could die. Nobody nobody wants that for anybody. But you gotta have a little faith that okay, so here's an interesting thing. My sister never changed what she did with my nephews. Never. She was always codependent with him, always up in his business, always shaming him, always worried about him, always threatening him, but never following through with the threats. This went on for years and years and years. I kept trying to intervene. This is my fucking sister. <laughs> this is my nephew in Huntington Beach, mm -hmm. 6161 Gene Drive, right at the corner of Edinger and Heil, right? By the lake there, that little lake that isn't... Is it Heil and, and what's Marina High School on? Bolsa Chica? Um, no, it is on Edinger. It is on Edinger. And I, is it Edinger? on Bolsa or Springdale? I don't, I don't recall. Springdale and Edinger. You know what Mike knows? That's where he went to school. Yeah, I went to Marina too. So, so get this. For, from the time my nephew's 16 until he's 24, she does all the exact same things. He went to Cornerstones in Tustin two times, all cash pay. He went to another place. He went to Phoenix House in Santa Ana. He went to this place. He went to Impact. Me and Martin got him an Impact one time, and he thought he was going to have his car. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Have your car? You're going to Impact, dude. Do you know what that is? <laughs> he was like, because he had been to Corners. That place looks like a jail. That's a place right around the corner uh, from PRC, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had been to Cornerstone. So he, at a certain point, I guess, at Cornerstones in Tustin, you get your car or something. I don't know. And he was like very concerned about his car because he drove up from Huntington to my house in LA. And then we were going out to the car to bring him to Impact. And I said, Well, give me your keys. And he goes, Well, well I mean, I'll drive it there. And I go, You're not, We're not taking your car there. What are you talking about? I'm going to keep it here. We'll park it on both sides of the street. If you leave and want your keys, I'll give them to you. I'm not a, like your mom. Or, you can't have your keys. Okay, here's your keys. <laughs> <laughs> right? I won't tell you you can't then give them to you anyhow. Yeah. So my sister made every mistake. I tried to intervene. He robbed their house one time. I, he wanted his college fund because he wasn't going to college. And his grandpa gave him that college fund. And his grandpa meant for him to have that money and whatever. And this went on for a year arguing about the college fund. So I got so tired of it, I talked to my brother-in-law and sister. And I said, just give him his fucking college fund. Give it to him $100 at a time. It was like four grand or something, right? Just give him $100 at a time. He was done with it in two months. It was gone, right? On and on and on. All the craziness. Held a gun to my sister's head for money. Just crazy shit, right? I finally went down there when he smashed all the windows of their house because I told them to change their locks. Hmm. He smashed all the windows of their house. That's kind. Right? Yeah. He was throwing a fit and police and what the well, that's what it is is giant tantrums it's just yeah. giant babies so so i went down there and i got in an argument with him and i was like you know and then he would calm down he would talk to me about hip-hop he loved hip-hop i'm talking about him in the past tense i think you can understand where this leads mm -hmm. so so i i told my sister you know you he can't live here and you can't pay for a motel. She used to always pay for motels on Beach Boulevard. I think a lot of parents down there do that, right? 
You can't live here, but let me get you a place for a week. <laughs> you know, I have heard. I have heard of that. That's just crazy. It's crazy. That's absolutely crazy to me. So, so you know, and she 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 sounded, you know, how when you're codependent with your kid, it sounded good at the time. He, you know, I drove him to the motel and whatever, and he had to go to Walgreens, I remember. And I don't have anything. I don't have anything. <laughs> okay. No, you don't have anything. So, and and I dropped him off right at Heil, or no, Warner and Beach Boulevard. There's a motel there, and there's a Walgreens there, and somehow I got settled. And then I came home to L.A., and and then I heard he was back in my, in the house, living in, his, in my sister's house, like a week later. And I called her, and I was livid, and I was like, Susan, you're crazy. What are you doing? You can't, you're, you can't let him live in your house. He, by this time, he's 24. And she said, Bobby, I don't want him to die. I know that he'll die if he's out there. And I said, he's going to die right in your fucking house. What, what, your house protects drug addicts from dying? Three months later, he, she found him dead in his bedroom. In his bed, that he'd had that bedroom since he was born. That's horrible. It's fucking horrible, right? Mm -hmm. So at any given time, <clears throat> like, just do anything different. Switch it up. Don't become so predictable. You, you become predictable. The, the drug addict it learns how to work you. Well, it, I mean, it's really comfy to use in your house where you were born. Make it uncomfortable for them to live taking drugs. Right. That's the obligation of the parent. It's not supposed to be comfy. You're fucking it's choosing. It's supposed to be difficult. It's not supposed to be an easy life. <laughs> you know, you're not being, you're not going to win parent of the year because you bought your kid dope and let him shoot up in their bedroom. No, he was like a he was like the original pill kid. He was a he was the first one I this is I think he died when he died when Elijah was like 16. So that's like 15 years ago he died. Right? And he was all Xanax, Ambien, Valium, Vicodin, Norcos. Oh, was, Benzos and opiates. Yeah. Way to go. Yeah. 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 And that was his cutting edge of that. And I I kept thinking. Like, this is crazy. When is he going to move on to heroin? And he never did. Didn't need to. Didn't need to. The doctor's and got good shit. He would get sober for like periods of time. He got arrested. He was in Phoenix house one time. And, and he had this truck and we were driving somewhere. And I was taking him to the Howe Foundation on Beach Boulevard. And, and we went and ate. And he goes, he, t he gets out of the parking lot at this, like this restaurant where he's got this two by four. Like it's about that long, about three Two and a half feet long, two feet long, two by four, right? And I go, Brian, what do you got? He goes, I want to get rid of this. It really means a lot to me to get rid of this. And I go, what? Because I thought it was like something he used against drug dealers to hit them, or I don't, I don't know why he had this two by four. And he goes, this is what I would use to hit myself in the head and go to the emergency room. Oh no way! He would hit himself with a two by four. And we could cut and then like go into some hospital in Orange County and like get Demerol or something. Oh, no way. How crazy is that? His own knock-knock stick for his own brain. <laughs> and so we threw it away in the trash can outside this like Denny. Oh, I hope you just didn't give somebody an idea. <laughs> oh you know, because that was my first thought is that would work. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> right? I mean, I'd hit a wall and bust up my hand and go, you know what? There is an upside to this. I'm going to the hospital. But he was red lighted at all the pharmacies. He was one of the first people. I, he also showed me, he was an amazing kid, really. If he could have turned it around, he'd be a good counselor. 
he showed me one weekend. I was down there. He's joking around. And he goes, Uncle Bobby, want to see how you can fucking call in your own scripts? And, you know, I was like three years sober. I was like, sure. I want to learn that. Oh, yeah. I might need to know that. For antibiotics, and, for and sure. And what he would do, he'd go to the dentist yellow pages. This is back when they had the yellow pages. You go to the dentist ones, and he would call the dentist numbers. I don't know exactly how he did it, but he would call the dentist numbers to see which ones had a forwarding number, right? That they were closed on a Saturday or a Sunday. And they, when you called them, it said, call this other number, right? Okay. And somehow he did something with the manipulation of that where the pharmacy, um, then he would call in a fake script with some other doctor's uh, pad number he had, right? And he would, he would be very official calling in the fake script. And then he would give the number of the, of the dentist's office that he was saying he was and that didn't have a forwarding number, right? Okay. So it was something about most dentists or doctors, if you call their phone number at their office, they say, if it's after hours and an emergency, call this number. And that's like a... a, a, a phone answering yeah they service. have answering services yeah, yeah 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 but the ones that don't a lot of times the pharmacy will call there and say oh well it is that doctor and just push the pharmacy the prescription through oh. i doubt that works anymore this was in the 90s yeah no i, I don't but imagine that. that imagine how smart that kid was he figured out how to fucking we're a resourceful bunch that's for sure yeah. i don't know about intelligent but resourceful as hell but you know i just i just i don't blame my sister but i do know that the outcome could have been different if she did things differently. And she's passed now too, so I can talk about it. But um, isn't that the nice way of putting it? She's dead too. <laughs> dead. All dead. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, Still dead. And I never said it to her, but I always just thought like anything different, anything. I've, I've known parents that have moved away from Southern California to get away from their At least kids. you tried. You know, I, the idea of, of moving while your kid's in rehab, probably not a bad idea. You know, if you know they're going to be there, get them in a really nice I'll place where they're going to be there for at least 30 is, days. This is for all the moms out there. So I had a running buddy named Todd Warren. He was probably one of the coolest guys I ever met in my life. One of the coolest guys, just funny and fucking crazy. Like he's, you know, he's, always in my mind there's certain parts of la where i drive at sunset and fairfax that i just always think of him um i was in cry help with him i used with him i finally got sober he didn't i sponsored him for a long time he was in the salvation army i was very involved with his mom he stole his mom's entire life savings right she was retired and lived on on sunset and fairfax in this condo and and Slowly but surely, he got access to her savings account and slowly just got, like, she had, like, $400,000 and he stole all of it without her knowing. First did little amounts and then got just, bigger and bigger and years, braver. Years and bigger. of yeah. it, right? Yeah. And she wasn't paying attention and and she's just the greatest. You know, she tried everything. Everything I it suggested she did, she would do, she did. Including, I said, you know what, Marilyn? You don't deserve this. Like, he's 40 years old. Right, just like because she had family back east, and I said you should just 
I don't know, go be with your family and stuff. You got really nothing. She would always say, I got nothing tying me to L.A. but Todd, right? And I said, why don't we move back? You think about it, you know? And I talked about it with him. We were very open talking about things. Like, I was like, because he would get sober. He was sober most of the time. But it was the times when he wasn't sober. <laughs> it just was no. a train wreck. He's the one that stole all my guitars out of my house. I, was, I came home one day, and the front door was ajar, like, two inches. I walked in, and the only things that were gone, like at the time I, I had a girlfriend, Max, who did costume design, and she had an office in the house, and he knew that. And he went in the office, and he was just looking through all the cabinets and all the drawers and all the, the file cabinets for her petty cash envelope, is what I figured, right? Because it's just everything open and stuff pulled out and like just looking for that one envelope that's got receipts and like $68 in it or something, right? Yeah. And then all my guitars were gone. I only, I had like four at the time. They were all gone. And so, and I didn't hear from him for like two weeks and I knew it was him. And then he called me one day, he's, hey, what's going on? And I was like, dude, where are my guitars? That's all I said. And he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, dude, I know I've been in your position. I probably deserve it. It's probably karma, but you know, where'd you pawn them so I can go get them? I'm not mad. For ten dollars, I said I'm not. Whatever. I'm not mad at you. <laughs> you pawn, you get so little for. A he pawn said guitar. the greatest thing because I had this. I, you know, we were using buddies, and then we were like trying. I was sober, and he was trying to get sober. So he goes, "I didn't pawn him." I go, "You motherfucker!" He goes, "He said the same thing you said. You don't get shit when you pawn things." <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's he, so I, did he sell them? Yeah, he sold them. Uh, <laughs> so he got like. $25 a piece. No, but he sold them. He sold them to this record store, guitar store, Melrose. I went and two of them were still there and I bought them back. Right? <laughs> so, so anyway, that became a joke. So, so she moves back east to Connecticut, I believe, where she's from and her family's there, her sister and whatever and friends and whatever. And she moves and me and Todd are just battling it out. And I used to, he was in Salvation Army or he was homeless in downtown LA. That was where, this is a guy that went to, college who grew up in beachwood canyon and just well educated every opportunity in the world and he ends up just living in downtown la either in uh in those voucher housing things oh nice what, Down like on you know you get a housing voucher for like yeah. yeah for like two weeks or something and then or salvation army and he died in the salvation army right mm -hmm. And they called me because I had been there to pick him up, take him to meetings, and I was, they knew me, and they called me, and they told me, you know, Mr. Forrest got some bad news, and I was like, oh, my God, I know what that means. And they're like, yeah, we found him. He was found. Um, we have some of his property here if you want to come and get it. And I was like, holy shit. And then I knew I had to call his mom. And it was just so sad. I got his typewriter and his writings. He was a writer and really good writer, funny writer. And um, and so then they have the funeral for him back east, right? And she called me and I said, how did it go? Oh, my God. I, you know, because I didn't have the money to go there to the funeral. I, didn't, I don't like funerals anyways. But um, she said, Bob, I just feel so guilty. And I go, oh, my God. If any mother has no reason to feel guilty. Like you, you did everything by the book, what Alanon told you, what I suggested. Todd knows you loved him. And, and she goes, no, I don't, I know, I know I did everything that I should have. And I tried everything and I, I loved him. I just feel guilty that I feel relieved that it's over. Uh -huh. 
that's what drug addicts do to people. They make us feel guilty even when they die. And so this whole point of this don't die, so I don't want moms to feel like they weren't good moms and that's why all these drug addicts die. It's mm. not. You can break cycles, you can do things differently and still bad things can happen, right? I, I think most culpable for this death rate is big pharma and particularly Purdue Pharmacy. They're the ones that created this epidemic. They're the ones that have some responsibility in the high death rate. There's no doubt about it. There's no ethical argument they can have, right? But even when we die, the people who love us feel guilty that they're relieved that our suffering is over. That has got to stop. We've got to get people back on track and living the lives you and me and Mike are living and thousands of people that have overcome addiction are living. We've got to increase success rates. We've got to hold the industry, the recovery industry accountable. We've got to go after big pharma and stop and hold government accountable to protect its people against these poisons. We've got to unite. I think it's a great opportunity. It's not boo-hoo. It's like, fuck you, let's do something. And this, you know, this is a rallying cry that I hear because it make it, it, it just, it's, it's so unnecessary and, and it's so vital where it, there's, it's such a big deal. If it's, if you're not a parent of somebody, you know, a parent who is, you definitely know a parent it, who it, is it, it, at this point, everybody is touched by heroin addiction in America. I'm convinced of it. And 20 years ago, it was 3% of the population. So that affected 20% of the population. It's, it's astronomical how it's grown and how crazy and out of control it is. So let's have a plan next episode on the podcast. We know I'm a bad counselor now. Chuck is the good counselor. Mm -hmm. I can't counsel anymore. I'm burnt out on it. I'll go after Big Pharma. Okay. You fucking, you, you do the counseling thing. All right. We'll both help the parents and parents help parents and everybody get together and do what they can, where they are with what they've got. And let's change this fucking thing. Oh, I like it. All right. Till right. next time. See you later. Hey, this is Bob and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call. <laughs>